how's it going, neighbor? Were you inspired to start your own twin group by my interview a couple weeks ago with Bree Ahrens? If so, this is a great interview to share with your new twin group, hint, hint. If not, it's cool. Even though I can't hear you, I always consider this little corner of the world a great support group for twin moms, different type of twin mom group, if you will, a place to share different moms' experiences, like today's guest, Jalissa Olson. She's actually a triplet mom, plus she's got two more kids. She talks about her traumatic Nick, you stay with her triplets, a little bit about PCOS and trying to conceive, as well as her going back to school, even though she has three one-year-olds. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, I'm Amber, mom to boy-girl twins, plus three other girls. My oldest was in kindergarten when baby five came along. I have a lot of kids and a lot of practice parenting them, but when I have a question, I turn to an expert, another mom. I believe the best advice comes from moms in the trenches, living it day in and day out. So sit back as I ask the real experts, moms like you, all the advice you asked for, and some you didn't. This is Neighborhood Twin Mom. Welcome to the neighborhood. Today's guest is a triplet mom. I think you're the very first triplet mom that I've interviewed. I have some triplets that I interviewed, adult triplets, but you're the first triplet mom that I have interviewed. So you have triplets and a toddler and a teenager yes so go ahead and and tell us about your family yeah so uh we have a a 13 year old she's my stepdaughter she lives with us full time so we have full custody of her and she's she's so great she's honestly like the my baby's second mom is what I always call her (laughs) um she's just so great with them and then we have a four-year-old who is all he was a twin but we lost his twin in the first Mm -hmm. trimester because I have polycystic ovarian so I don't ovulate on my own all the time and so when I got pregnant I took Clomid both times and ended up with multiples but we lost Luke's twin yeah in the first trimester then we had the triplets when you found out how many weeks were you when you found out that you were having twins with Luke yeah I was nine weeks. Okay. And so then when did you find out that the other one wasn't right? A week later. So my doctor called me. So he did the ultrasound and he said, I just don't think that your levels are where I would expect them to be with twins. So I want you to come back on Friday and we'll repeat your ultrasound. And so it was only like five days from finding out we were having twins to finding out, you know, that one of them had, you know, by the time we went in Friday, the second one didn't have a heartbeat. Right. What was that like? What were those emotions? We'd been trying to have a baby for five, five years at that point. And so we were pretty ecstatic that we were, you know, we were excited. So it it kind of felt like one of those things where you had this like height of emotion. And then my doctor was pretty realistic with me. So I sort of saw it coming, Okay, but it was, it was sad. It was hard, you know, like laying in that room. And I I just kind of knew, I almost knew before we even started that, I just had a feeling that it, it, it was going to end. So it was, but it was scary. You know, you were ner- I was nervous after that. And I developed preeclampsia when I was pregnant with Luke too. And so I was always super nervous. I was, you know, going to go into labor early or something was going to happen. Or I got induced at 36 weeks with him just because my blood pressure got so mm-hmm. high. So he was a little early, but, but did fine, um, you know, after birth and stuff, but it was, it was sad. It was, it was hard. And then finding, finding out, I think it was harder finding out we were having triplets just because then I was so nervous, like yeah. all the time, like, oh, are they even going to make it? You know? Yeah. So yeah. how many years did you wait to try again 
after Luke? So only a year, we knew we wanted a big family. And so we were like, well, let's just do it in one shot. (laughs) So so I, my doctor told me like my chances of getting pregnant, were going to be much higher if I, if I lost some weight. And so I ended up losing over a hundred pounds and we were still trying to get pregnant and it just still wasn't working. And so I went back to my doctor and I was like, I want to try Clomid again. And he was like, well, you know, just the the chances that you'll conceive multiples on it, since you already did once like that increases your likelihood a little bit. And so my husband and I talked about it and we were like, well, you know, I think we only really thought like twins, you know, like, oh, okay, twins, that's fine. You know, Um, we can handle that. And so we we just kind of like knowingly took that jump. I feel like I knew right away. I was working at the hospital and where my doctor worked. And so I, I had my ultrasound that day and I worked in, in surgery. And so we, we were all, we were all joking and we were talking about how I was like, oh, I bet there's two in there. And then my boss, Tammy said, oh, I think there's three. And I said, oh, you're so funny. There's not, there's no way there's three. I said, but I'm sure that there's more than one. I said, I don't know how many there are, but I'm sure there's more than one. And we all just kind of joked about it. And so I left and I went down for my ultrasound and I like when I got in there and my, my friend Liz, she was my nurse. And so my doctor's nurse. And so I said to her, I said, make sure that you tell doc that I want an ultrasound today. Cause like, you know, her and I kind of planned it. She's like, well, I already have the bedside set up in there. So, cause usually they don't do them that early for like no reason. And so she was like, so how many weeks, how many weeks was it then? Oh, I was only maybe eight weeks. Okay. I think I was like eight weeks. And so I was like, let's just make sure that he has that. And so he comes in and the ultrasound says, Liz tells me you want an ultrasound today. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, why? And I said, because there's more than one baby in there. He goes, there's not more than one baby. And I was like, but there is. And so he starts the ultrasound and right away he puts it on and you can see two sacks side by side. And I, I hit his arm and I was like, see, there's two. And then he starts to like pan over and then he stops and he goes, you know what? I think we need to send you down to radiology and have a better ultrasound done. And oh I gosh. knew it. I, I'm like, okay. And so Liz and I were walking down and I said, Liz, did you see that third baby? She goes, I can't lie to you. I did see it. And so I go down there and we start the ultrasound my legs. I couldn't stop shaking. Like not just my legs, but almost like my whole body. I was so shaky. I think I was like, it was a mixture of like excitement, but also like nervousness. Yeah. You know? like, Tell me what month this was. Cause this was like pandemic. Yeah. So this was like, well, they were mm, had to have been, it was like right before the pandemic. So I'm thinking like April or Mar- March or April, this would have been of 2020. Well, yeah. Your husband wasn't there at the ultrasound. He was. He was, was. okay. He was. And so I walked back down and he waited to get the pictures. And so I was sitting in the office and I was kind of like, by the time I got back to the, like from radiology back to his office, I sat down because everything in our hospital was a small hospital in one building, you know? And I, I sit down and I'm like, okay, you know, like triplets. And it kind of started to hit me and I was a little nervous. And then my husband, pops in the room and he's holding the ultrasounds and he's like, woohoo. Like he was like excited, just ecstatic, like so excited. And my doctor came in and he like, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it was all kind of hitting me, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. How is the pregnancy compared to your previous pregnancy? So 
it was actually pretty good. I kept working until about 22 weeks, I think it was. And then even after that, I still, I remember like I, I felt better with my triplet pregnancy. Other, I was really nauseous, but overall I felt almost better in the beginning than I did with Luke. And then I started to get like huge, obviously. And like, eventually it got like pretty uncomfortable. And I would say that once I reached 29 weeks, I was like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. This is miserable, super uncomfortable. And it was right around 29 weeks. We lived in Buffalo, Wyoming at the time. And so I had a very rural. Yes. So I was driving to Billings, which is about two and a half hours to see my MFM, my doc. He told me at 29 weeks, he's like, I would really like it if you could come live up in Billings. You just need to be close to close to the hospital in case you go into labor. And so he's like, I can put you in the Ronald McDonald house, but because of COVID, I couldn't have my son there. And then we had Dea who was still in school. And so everything was just kind of up in the air. And then by, you know, Walker, grace, God's grace. I don't know. We found a family up in Billings who had this extra house in Huntley, which is about 10 minutes outside of Billings. And they let us stay there for free. So Yeah. So we ended up basically moving into this house up in Billings. And then my mom came to stay with me so that she could help me get back and forth to appointments and, you know, be there in case anything happened. So we moved up to Billings and yeah, around 29 weeks. And because I started to kind of have scares where like I would start kind of having contractions. And so I, and so they would give me medication, keep me overnight, kind of monitor until they stopped. And then they'd send me home. I went in one night and I was 30 weeks and I was having full, I mean, I was having contractions. And so I was like, okay, like this is it. They're going to, you know, they're going to take them. And so uh, the nurse comes in and she, they had swabbed me because they were preparing to like, if I, if they couldn't stop it, we would go back for Mm C-section and I was COVID positive and I didn't know. I, I had no symptoms. I was like asymptomatic. So then at that point, it kind of changed everything. I think they were kind of leaning towards just doing the C-section. And then at that point they were like, well, we need to do everything we can to stop it so that they didn't, ex- I think, expose them at, at birth. I was stayed in the hospital, I think for four days. And that was the worst. I was on isolation. It was miserable. I mean, people... I mean, people came in, but it was just like, it was terrible. It was terrible. So finally I had like a mental breakdown. And I said to the doctor, I was like, my contractions have stopped. I don't have any symptoms. I got to get out of here. You have to let me go. I can't, I can't stay here. You know, I was just going stir crazy in there. And so she agreed that it was okay to let me go. So then I, I went home and they gave me, I had a quarantine period of like the 14 days. If I had the babies before those 14 days, then I wouldn't be able to, see, they told me I wouldn't be able to see them until I was on my quarantine. Yeah. That was scary, but I ended up, I had them like four days, I think after my quarantine ended. So I was, cause oh, I was wow. 32 weeks and five days when I finally ended up delivering them. I, I was having contractions. It was the 23rd I was having contractions all morning. And I was like, my son's birthday, my four-year-old's birthday is on the 24th. Oh gosh. And I, so I just told him like, I'm like, oh no, I'm I'm not going into labor. I'm just, you know, it's nothing. I've gone in so many times and you know, it's nothing. And then finally around seven o'clock, I could not, I could no longer deny I was fully in labor. And so I went in and I was already dilated to a three 
She came in, she checked me out, dilated to a three, came back 30 minutes later and I was already at a four. And so they were like, okay, it's time. We got to, we got to get you back there. Like nice tonight. And so I was like, well, we just got to deliver these babies before midnight because they cannot be born on my son's birthday. Yeah. And they were born at 1230. Oh gosh. So they all so have the same birthday. All of my kids have the same birthday except oh my for my stepdaughter. That's so funny. Horrible. And then C-section recovery was okay it was, or? It was okay. Yeah. My C-section, it was pretty, I mean, yeah, it went good. I was up within a couple hours and got to go into the NICU and my, re- my recovery wasn't too bad. It was not what I expected, I guess. Um, you know, I didn't ever, I didn't have a C-section with my first. So it just, you know, it was definitely not what I had expected. It was a lot to me, more painful recovery than having them vaginally. But I think I was just so full of like, you know, excitement with wanting to see them and and holding all these things. So the first five days were, I mean, that's how long I was in the hospital after I had them. It was, I mean, I just, I was like pumping in the NICU. That's all I do. Pump in and go to the NICU. I spent all my days in there. And then there was Thanksgiving. I was sitting in NICU. I was holding my, my daughter, Everly. She had an umbilical line. And so I couldn't hold her for a couple of days. They didn't want, they said that it was just like, those lines aren't always so stable, I guess. And so they didn't want me to risk displacing that line by holding her. And then finally, four days after she was born, I got to hold her for the first time. And so it was Thanksgiving. I was holding her. I was like, oh, this is so, you know, this is so great. Then the next day we were discharged and, you know, I left. It was, it was really hard, you know, like leaving without them. And then the NICU called me that night and told me Everly, she, cause she was on room air. They said, we had to put her on some oxygen. She wasn't was struggling a little bit and so I was like okay and I kind of figured that was like normal or you know par for the course with multiples and being in the NICU then that morning they called me again and they were like she's really not doing good we had to intubate her and she's on a vent and I, I just remember thinking like well that was a quick turn of events and they're like you should really come in and so we packed up our stuff you know I hadn't seen my other son in five days so we were trying to kind of like spend the day and see him but we we go into the hospital we got there and they kind of stopped us at the door and explained like you know she wasn't she wasn't doing very well and to just kind of be prepared and so we walked over and I looked at her and she I mean to me she didn't even look alive her color was really bad she wasn't very pink she just looked um she looked rough she had a PDA. You could hear the little, they called in a cardiologist and they thought maybe it was somehow related to that. Well, this cardiologist comes in and she looks at her and says, no, it's, you know, it's not really, this is not related to her heart. And then all of a sudden her kidneys start to fail and she quits making urine. And so they, they're, they're doing all these tests. They're running all these tests. They're checking her blood gases. They're doing all of these things. And she's just getting worse and worse and worse. And then finally the NICU doctor pulls me aside and he says, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. There's nothing more we can do for her here. And, um, we're going to be, we're going to send you to Denver. And so, because if she needs dialysis, we can't, we can't do that here. Or if she needs a transplant, but they couldn't tell me what was wrong with her. They had no idea. 
This is at like the height of COVID. Everything is really crazy. There were so many patients being brought into Billings Clinic from other places that they didn't even have. They had no helicopters. They had no planes. And so we were just sitting there waiting. And so finally, she just kept getting worse and worse. I mean, we've been waiting for hours for a flight transport at that point. They came over and they're like, you know, she's she's just really rapidly declining. And so uh, let me think of how many hours, like even an ambulance that would have taken hours to get from Billings to Denver. Yeah. Oh, like 12 hours probably to drive there from Billings to Denver. I would guess maybe at least 10, at least 10, at least 10. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So how uh, big were they at birth? The babies uh, three, they were three, three and four pounds. So, uh, Everly was four, two Aspen was three, nine and Everett was three eleven. Okay. So then you're just waiting around for transport to get to a bigger children's hospital. I went back and I held, I got, I held Aspen and Everett and I kind of just, it was really hard because I just thought like, okay, like I have to leave my other two babies and go with her. I can't like send her by herself. And so my husband, I decided like he would stay with them and I would go with Everly. And is your mom with your toddler Luke at that house? Okay. Yep. Oh gosh. Okay. So now you're all in different places. Yeah. So finally the, they decided to call St. V St. Vincent's hospital and ask them if they happened to have a flight team available. And so they did. So St. Vincent came over to Billings clinic and this flight nurse came in. I remember I was sitting, I was sitting in this chair, just staring at her in her little isolate. And she comes up to me and she puts her hand on my leg and she said, everything's going to be okay now. Like we're here and everything's going to be okay. And she looked at her and she said, I don't think that this umbilical line is stable enough for transport. So we're going to pull this out. And it turns out that that line had perforated the vein and had everything they'd been giving her through her IV for the first, however many days of her life had flooded her chest cavity. So her lung had collapsed. So she had a chest tube in that was like taking all this fluid out. And that was one thing they were so unsure about. They said the, the color of the fluid, like they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what this fluid was. Well, it turns out it was everything that they'd been giving her. So the more that they kept giving her through the line, the more that would flood into the cat, like flood into her Mm -hmm. chest and the more that the, the, the tube would pull out. And so she did that. And I think it was only 10 minutes after she'd pulled it and Everly opened her eyes and she looked at me and I, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And so we got to Denver and like the nurse was like giving her report to the doctor after we'd gotten there. And she's like, I just had a gut feeling about that line. So I pulled it and she seems to be improving on the way on the flight down. She started, her kidney started making urine. She peed a bunch. And so we ended up spending a week in Denver where they closed that PDA. But when we got to Denver, the scariest part was when we got to Denver. So they tested her because COVID was like kind of new and he tested her because he just wasn't sure if her symptoms might've been COVID related, Mm. but she tested negative at Billings clinic less than 24 hours later. Okay. Like maybe 12 hours later, we get to Denver and she tests positive in Denver. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so they came in and they're like, you know, she does have COVID, which is why when, you know, that, and they wanted to close her PDA, which was why we stayed so long in Denver, but it was so terrible because my husband then was told by the NICU, he could not go in to see our other babies because he had been considered exposed. Oh, wow. Because he held 
he had held Everly, which didn't really make a lot of sense to us because technically when he held her, she had tested negative. So then our other two babies, we couldn't even see. Oh, it was so hard. So we were down there for a while and then we came back and then Evie was kind of separated from the other two until she was out of her quarantine period. Finally, everybody was reunited. They were all back together in one room. Everything was like, okay. And Evie was doing great. They were all doing great. And then they were talking about discharging Everett and Aspen. And so they did their car seat tests. They were doing pretty good. And so how many weeks is this? We've been in the NICU for about four weeks at that point. Okay. Oh, not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. This is exciting. And so I came in and I said, I'm going to stay the whole night because we didn't have our Nikki was just like an open kind of like an open room with curtains basically. And there was no bed for you to stay or anything like that. But I said, well, I'm going to just sleep in this chair all night long and see what it's like to do a full night with them to handling all their feedings by myself doing all that. So that's what I did. And I, I, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, I I got up and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go sleep now. And cause you know, there wasn't any solid plan to discharge yet. They were just talking about it. And so I went back to the house in Huntley to take a nap. And I had never up until that point turned my ringer off when I wasn't there. And so, I, but I shut my ringer off because I was like, on your I'm, phone, you mean? Yeah. Cause I've been up all night. So I was tired. So I go to sleep and my husband had already gone back to Buffalo. He was working, he was back to work. And my mom was down in Buffalo with my other kids. And I was just by myself at this house. So I wake up and I have four missed calls from Josh, three missed calls from the NICU and a missed call from my mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, some, what is going on? So I first, I call the NICU back and the nurse answers and she's like, let me get Dr. Cooper for you. So he gets on the phone and he says, Hey, we're not sure what happened, but between six o'clock and eight o'clock this morning, Everett took a really bad turn. We started him on CPAP and that didn't seem to help. He, we then switched him to the vent and he's not doing well on the vent. So he said, how far are you from the hospital? And I'm like, maybe 15 minutes. And he said, I would get in your car now. I would come now. And so I, I said, okay. So, I mean, like I literally put toothbrush on my tooth, you know, like toothpaste on my toothbrush and I grabbed my purse and I was like brushing my teeth going out to the car. I don't know why I was like, I got to brush my teeth. Like, I was <laughs> you know, like, so I, I'm like running out to the car and I, I, I have my hand on the door my phone rings again and it's the NICU and it's a nurse. And I mean, it's only been five minutes since I just hung up, you know, and she's like, have you left yet? And I said, yes. And she's like, okay, he, he's really not doing good. So I was driving to the, oh I was driving and I was probably going like 90 miles an hour trying to fly around cars. I mean, I didn't even care. I was just, I didn't care if I got pulled over. I didn't care. Like I was just flying through traffic and I, I get there and I, I go up and my maternal fetal medicine doctor met me at the door and, and he said, you know, they're switching him from a regular vent to an oscillating vent right now. And it's kind of, it can be kind of a, a rough thing to, to watch. Are you sure you want to go back? And I said, yeah, like I, I want to go back there. And so, you know, him and another alert nurse, they, they led me back and I saw Everett and they were doing like, they were switching him from, from the two vents and that oscillating vent was so loud. It sounded like a generator. It was like really loud and it, and it was making all this noise and what it did was it shook their body. So it looked like his body was shaking like this. And I saw him 
And to me, he looked just like Everly when she was so sick. And I just fell to the floor. I, I fell to the floor in the NICU and I just started sobbing and they, they picked me up and they put me in a chair and, you know, they're like, I'm so sorry. We we're we're not really sure what's wrong yet. We're doing a lot of testing and we're going to, we're going to figure this out. So I'm like, okay, like, here we go. Here we go again. You know, they were doing, they were hanging blood and doing the blood transfusions. They called my husband was on his way from Buffalo. I had about a two hour drive. So he got there and the doctor sat us down and he said, you know, he's really sick and we don't know what's causing it yet, but he is septic. And so we're going to put you guys on, on the labor and delivery floor right across the hall. And so that you can be here in case he doesn't make it through the night and we can come and get you, you know, or you can stay here, but right. With him. <laughs> I know I, we were like, okay. And I stayed with him till about four o'clock in the morning and then I was just exhausted. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll go. You know, I remember the nurse being like, no news is good news. So, you know, if we don't come get you, it's good news. And so I woke up and I think it was like four, I went in there and I woke up at 7.30 and I came back over and um, all of the NICU doctors then were there. So there was three different doctors that were there. One of them pulled me aside and, and he said, so it looks, he, he had group B strep which is something, and he had gotten septic from it. When they first started to get sick, the doctor ran, like, I think it was broad spectrum antibiotics because he did that. Like they ended up overnight, they started to do their job, you know, but he was, he was on that oscillating vent for five days, I think, but ended up surviving. I mean, he made it. And so it was like, okay, like we did it. Like he's okay, you know? And so Everything was like, I mean, by that point, we were basically traumatized. It was, it was so scary. And then flash forward, everything seems to be okay. Everybody's doing great. And so then the week before Christmas, Aspen and Everly get discharged. And so we were like so excited. Everett was still in because he had just been sick. He had to a minimum amount of stay time that he had to be there and a lot of other things. We were like, it was the week before Christmas and we were like, okay, so Aspen came home first and I brought her home. It was her. And then the next day Everly came home and I was like, well, we're, we're just going to, we'll have to go home to Buffalo. I can't, I had everything I needed at home. I didn't have their cribs. I didn't have anything to stay in Billings. And so it's like, we're just going to go home and then we'll just make the travel, the distance back and forth. Everett was only supposed to be in there for a couple more days. And so Christmas day was actually when Everett was supposed to be released and he ended up getting this little scab on his head that got infected. And so they were like, we need to keep him a little longer just to make sure. I think they were all just being overly cautious. So Christmas morning, I I woke up and I was kind of really upset because I was like, oh, you know, like we were all supposed to be together, you know? And and I had made this stupid sign and it was like best Christmas ever or something like that. And I planned on taking a picture of all three of them with that sign behind them. And I woke up and I saw it and I just was like, whatever, you know? So I was like, well, I'm just going to plan on spending the whole day in bed nursing because I was breastfeeding at that point. And so I was like, we're just gonna have a nurse and I'm going to sit in my bed all day and nurse babies and watch movies, you know, watch Christmas movies. And around noon that day, Aspen had been asleep for about three hours. And she just like, I went to wake her up and she was 
like really lethargic. And I was like, okay, I couldn't get her to eat. I couldn't get her to rouse to eat. So I I tried to give her a bottle because like maybe she's too tired to nurse. So I was like, try to give her a bottle. She wouldn't drink it. And then I was undressing her. She had a blowout and I was undressing her to like change her clothes. And I noticed all over her body, she had these sear veins like underneath. So all the veins like running through her chest, I could see them. And I was like, well, that's really weird. I told Josh, I said, I don't know. She just doesn't look good to me. I'm just going to bring her to our ER there in Buffalo and have them take a look at her. Super rural hospital. But I kind of was like, I'm probably being overdramatic, but I just want to be safe. So I, I bring her in and these are, this is the hospital where I worked. These are people that I knew. So the nurses coming in and taking care of me, they were my, I mean, they were people I knew They, you know, the doctor coming in, I knew it. So Dr. Gonzalez comes in and he's like, you know, her heart rate is really high, but I'm not really sure. He's like, I think maybe we need to send her up to, up to Billings. And he's like, so I'm going to get a flight ready. And then our anesthesiologist, Jeff comes in to get a lot, uh, an IV started on her because she was just so little and nobody else really felt comfortable. So they call Jeff in and he gives her this bolus of fluids. And all of a sudden she just, she wakes up, she nurses, she drinks a full bottle and she just seems like really good. And so he was like, well, she seems to be stabilizing. So I'm going to go ahead and cancel that flight. She seems stable and her heart rate came down. I think she's like, I think she just got dehydrated from not eating. And it was only maybe 20 minutes later. And I was holding her just like I am now. And she was wrapped in a blanket and our equipment that we had at our hospital was so not for pediatrics. Right. Yeah. 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 And so she, all of a sudden I look, uh, like her heart rate starts going way down and her oxygen starts going way down. And then all of a sudden, like every, like I, I looked at her and I kind of like, I leaned forward like this and her arms like flopped out yeah. and everything flatlined. And she, like the nurse comes in and they start, they call a code and they take her from me. And Dr. Gonzalez comes in, he starts doing chest compressions. And I was like, Oh my God. Like she, she died. I mean, like she would right in front of, like in my arms. And so they started doing chest compressions on her. And like, he told them to bring in the cart and they were going to shock her basically, I think. Mm -hmm. And then finally she, before they got, were able to do that, she like took a breath and then came back. And I, I think at that point I was just like, this cannot, this, this isn't real. This is not real life. I remember standing in the corner while they were watching them do chest compressions and, and standing around me was my, my friends, like the nurses that I knew, and they were standing all around me. And I, I just remember looking at her and thinking, even if she dies, God is still good. And I just kept repeating that over and over in my head, even if she dies, God is still good. And then she, you know, she came back and we were life lighted back to Billings. And so she was on the pediatric floor at St. Vincent Hospital and Everett was still in the NICU over at Billings Clinic, you know, and it was like the end of Christmas day, you know, it's like 11 o'clock by the time we got there. I remember like I was sitting with Aspen and she'd gone to sleep. She was doing okay, you know, and I was like, well, I guess I'll walk across the street and go see Everett. 
it was 11 o'clock at night in Billings and I was walking in between the hospitals and I just started sobbing. And I think I, I sobbed like uncontrollably the whole walk there. And then I got to the doors and I was like, okay, now you have to stop. I don't know. I just like, stop crying now, you know? And I went up and, and I walked into the NICU and everyone, all the nurses were like, so surprised to see us, you know, I told them what happened and they were like, they like were shocked like couldn't couldn't believe it she'd only been discharged three days you know four days it was just a lot you know they were like oh I'm so sorry you know and I and then I was waiting for Josh to get there with Everly and then he picked me up and we went back to that house in Huntley and then Everett got discharged two days later and then I had to leave Aspen up there at St. V's for six days without us you know and it was honestly, it was very traumatic. It was very like, you know, after I brought them home, I was just scared all the time. You know, I brought them, I finally got everybody home in January. And so then we just kind of started, you know, okay, like this is our new life, but we were also just so traumatized, I think from almost losing all of them that I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Not just because I was up feeding three babies, but I was so scared all the time of, of losing one of them or something bad happening in the middle of the night and not, well, how could you not? I mean, my gosh. Yeah. So, so this is January, 2021. And then, yeah. so they're a couple months old, they're yep. home. What yeah. is it like when you're home? Obviously you're scared all the time. So you are yeah. not working anymore. You took time off work, right? Mm-hmm. Is your husband working full-time? Yes. So he was working full time. He was working at the wool mill. And so he went back to work and then I was just struggling really at being at home by myself. And so he started looking for job opportunities that would allow him to work from home because he does marketing. That's his thing. And digital marketing is such a, you can work from home and doing that. So, so sorry, let me stop you real quick. You said you're struggling being at home. Can you talk a little bit more about that more physically? Like, oh my gosh, I cannot literally feed three babies or like like mentally and afraid or what was it? I mean, both. I, I was struggling to keep up. I felt like, um, I was always just one step behind and everything just kept, and I was by myself and there was three of them. So, you know, I was trying to figure out, I was nursing. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, well, I can tandem these two. And I would sit in my bed. I had this twin nursing pillow and I would nurse like this. And then I'd have the third one right there in the middle, like with a bottle. And I would just be like prop like that. And I basically sat like that all day, just sat in bed. I mean, I, I couldn't, there was like, it felt like I couldn't do anything else. I was either on the couch or sitting in bed. It was just hard keeping up with the demand and then making sure I was, I was hyper worried about infection. So sterilizing bottles and, and making sure that I was like, I was just really trying to be cautious, you know, and where was Luke? Where was your toddler at the time? He was there with a, with me chilling on the bed, hanging out all day. Yeah. Yeah. Watching YouTube on my phone. I mean, like, you know, and then we had our 13 year old and she was in, you know, she'd go to school and then she'd come home and she was so sweet. She'd always be like, can I keep one in my room? I'm like, you can't keep one in your room, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but she just, she was really helpful when she was home. But, and I did have a really supportive community in Buffalo of like a lot of moms that would come. But it was for me, I felt, I felt this pressure of, I should be able to do this Mm -hmm. and leaning on people in the beginning was very humbling. And it was very difficult because I just felt like, well, I should be able to do this. And I look back on it now and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have just 
accepted more help because they everyone wanted to help everyone offered to help but for some reason I think my own pride or my own whatever just got in the way of me being able to accept that help and uh, all the time it wasn't until I would be like at a breaking point where I would finally reach out and be like and it would be like desperate you know I'd be like I'm drowning and I can't do this you know and then people would show up and then you know, and, 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 but our church was really supportive. They, they created a sign up sheet for like, you know, and a lot of ladies in the church would want to, you know, sign up for time slots to come sit with babies and stuff. And so, but it was just me. I could, for some reason, I just felt bad leaning on everybody. And so when they were about six months old, we decided we would move from Buffalo to Grable where my husband's family lived, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, they were all like, we just want to help you come here and we will help you. We ended up moving back to Grable and my mother-in-law has been amazing. I mean, she, she's always, she's so funny this weekend. She's like, okay, I, I told myself I would give you guys space this weekend, but she just always wants to come over and see the babies. And so Sunday, of course she stopped by and she's like, well, I just, I had to stop by because I had Valentine's day treats, <laughs> you know, or whatever. She, she's just so sweet. I think it has been it's, it's easier now in some ways. I think some of that fear is gone. I still recognize it here and there where I get nervous, but they're like almost little toddlers now. I mean, she's so big in my arms, you know, like they're little, but they're getting big, you know, starting to walk and do all these crazy things. And that's, man, I, I think this might be harder in some ways at this stage because they're into everything. Always making messes, always like it's chaos. It's, it is. It's like pure chaos in our house, but it's fun. I honestly couldn't imagine now our life any other way, having like these five kids. It's chaos and it's really hard and it's a lot of work, but it's so fun. It is so fun. And in some ways easier than having a singleton because they entertain each other. They play with each other. Yeah. I'm not their only source of entertainment. You right. Know? Yeah. So what is your day typically look like? Cause you're now you have added more to your plate and are going back to school. You were in yes. school before the twins, mm-hmm. or I mean the triplets. And yep. now actually your girls are identical twins, right? No, no, they're all oh. fraternal, but yeah, we have two girls and a boy. They just, okay. yeah, they I like, thought that they split. So it was three eggs. Yep. Yes. Oh, wow. Three okay. Eggs. I thought that the yep. girls split. Okay. So yeah. you have gone back to school. Yes. What does your days like look like now? The twins were born yeah. in November of 2020. So now they, at the time of recording, they're almost 15 months old. So I'm back in school. So like usually a day looks like in the morning, my husband actually gets up first. He's so great. So he gets up first and he gets them all out of bed, changes their diapers and feeds them breakfast. And then I get up at eight and then I kind of clock in, (laughs) you know, uh, for my shift, (laughs) you know? And so I handle like that from eight until like lunchtime and they do go down for, so they nap every day, usually from nine 30 until 11. This one's just having to be sitting on me right now. (laughs) And so during that nap time is usually when I am able to get a lot of stuff done. I either go to the coffee shop. We have a cute, a nice little coffee shop here in Grable that I'll go sit, sit down at just because it's quiet. And then Josh will text me and say, the babies are up, you know, and then I'll come Because he works from home now. I cut you off earlier. He works from home now. He works from home now. You don't just leave him at home. We missed that part out. He works at home now. (laughs) Yes. So he, he works at home. He got a job working from home. And then 
And then there he just popped in. And so he'll like, oh, the babies are up or whatever. And then I'll come home. I, I typically handle lunch. I get them fed. And then they're up. We do playtime when the player, whatever they play. And then at 1.30, they go down for their next nap. And then that is when I usually get housework done. So that's when I'm like cleaning, laundry, yeah. all the things. And then my husband coaches high school basketball. So then he usually leaves here around like, oh, 3.30 to head over for practice and doesn't get home till six. And then, yeah, it's honestly, it's like every free moment I'm either cleaning or studying now. Um, and so it is a lot, it's a lot, but it's just so important to me because the one thing that I want to impress upon my kids or show them is that, it's the same reason I like to, you know, like, like people tell me I'm crazy because I'll, we, we'll load them up and we go hiking. And so we will carry them and we go, we go hiking or we go out and it's, is that I don't ever want them to feel like because of them, I was not able to do something. Yeah. And I don't want, I, because I, I see a lot, we were, we were recent, I was at a basketball game recently and I, I saw this girl and she goes, this young girl, she's a teenager. She goes, Oh, you there's a load of triplets. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I'm a quad. And I was like, Oh, wow, that's crazy. And then somebody standing next to me said, Oh, your poor mother. And I said, um, I said to her, I said, I'm sure she loves it. I'm sure she loves it. But I I just, your kids, I feel like they are kind of going to get that from people and people don't mean it. I don't ever think people mean it in a negative way. They just, you know, they can't imagine what it would be like. I don't ever want to be like, I couldn't get my degree because I had you guys, or, you know, I couldn't do these things. I want to figure out and show them that like, they can do anything, even if it's hard, even if it's hard, you can still do it. I was almost, I have two, I had two prerequisites left to apply to the program. So that's what I'm finishing right now. And I get to, I can apply to the nursing program in the fall. And it's something I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be a nurse. And I just, after school for, I got married and then we moved and there's just all this stuff. So I didn't, I didn't end up going to college. And now I just, it's, it's just important to me. You know, I, it's a, it's something I feel called to in my life and I, I want to do. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do it even if it's hard, man, so. you impress me. You impress me with your attitude because it's hard to remain, but having three babies and being able to have such a positive attitude about that, that's great. Why don't you tell me your best advice? You kind of already said, ask for help, but you yeah. have other advice for young moms or people who are pregnant with multiples. I, I think learn to be okay with leaning on other people and realize that you're, you may feel like it, but you're not a burden. And people don't offer, they're not offering to help you because they feel bad for you. They just genuinely care about you and learn to accept that help, even if it's difficult, because it is invaluable. Even, even just like, for me, it was like when they were babies, like even just people coming in my house, like my friend, Liz, she's so amazing. She used to take my laundry. She would come over. She was my landlord too, but she would come over and take baskets of my laundry and wash it for me. And I would feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't even keep up with my own laundry, but she did it because she loved me and she cared not because she was judging me because I didn't have my laundry done and just learning to accept little help here and there. It does make a world of difference because it is hard raising multiples. There's nothing, there really isn't anything easy about it, but help allowing others to help you will lessen your load. 
Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Why yeah. don't you tell everyone where they can find you and follow your cute little kids? Oh yeah. So we're Olson fam wild. That's our, that's our Instagram handle. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you want to hang out some more, you can follow me on Instagram at neighborhood twin mom. If you want more info on what we talked about in this episode or a transcription of the audio, head to neighborhoodtwinmom.com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star rating and review. This helps other people be able to find the podcast. Music for this episode was composed by Cameron Norby. Find more of his work on YouTube. Oh, she's awake. (laughs) Awake.